Striving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. Hello, my name is Sophie Stankowski. I have worked in the graduate recruitment and early career space for a long time now. And one of the first lessons I was taught by an early career mentor of mine, shout out to Kay Carey, is that mutually beneficial relationships is where the magic happens. And that lesson has really stuck with me. If we share goals and are on the same mission, why don't we work together rather than be in competition? I know we can achieve far more in collaboration than we can in isolation, and I have been super fortunate in my career to meet, collaborate, and learn from so many people, and so it gives me such great pleasure to call on this network to talk all things graduate recruitment and early career programs as the guest host for this Striving and Thriving podcast series. I hope we can welcome in some new people into our network who may be just starting their journey in the campus recruitment space, and we can all lift our professional game together. So today I have invited Kelly Pfeffer to join me, an absolute legend in the graduate and early career space. She's got a wealth of knowledge to share and I can't wait to pick her brains. Kelly, welcome. Thank you, Sophie. How are you doing? Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, no, really great. It's I'm enjoying being back at Suncorp now and I was just saying to someone yesterday, like I feel really blessed to be able to keep doing what I love for so long. I suppose. So yeah, I'm really happy with where I am at the moment, but still looking forward to the continuous challenge that is the early career space. So you've been in the space for ages and I've watched that for a while now, you know, following the LinkedIn story, occasionally bumping into you in an industry panel, but maybe for the audience, do you want to just introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about your background and what you're up to. My early career background was actually more in the HR general space. So probably what's different to a lot of people in the early career space now is usually the early career space is where they start their HR journey. For me, it's probably the flip in that I I started in HR a long time ago and worked in like all the different sort of areas of HR. And then sort of by accident or maybe by purpose, I don't know, I, I found myself all of a sudden looking after the graduate program at Queensland Treasury at the time, which is where I was working, it didn't take long for me to fall in love with the whole thing Um, because I think from a HR perspective, you know, managing an early careers program is is one of those parts where you get to touch on all parts of HR at once. So I really loved it. So I was in Queensland Government for quite a while. I managed a few different grad programs in Queensland Government before I made the leap to the private sector. So I think I was in the public sector for about 20 years before I then joined Suncorp for the first time. Um, So I was at Suncorp for six years looking after the grad program. And then I decided to sort of make a a sideways move and and tried a couple of other organisations in the technology space, the engineering space. Most recently, I also tried out doing some consulting as well for about 18 months and then had various different clients in that space, helping them to build their grad strategies or at least review their grad strategies and give them some recommendations. And then Suncorp called me up again late last year and um, it was just at that right point in time where I decided that probably consulting wasn't the right fit for me. And so it was just one of those things, the universe just aligned right at the right time. And um, so here I am back at Suncorp 
nine months later and loving it again. So, you know, in summary, maybe in the early career space, what now, 15 years, I think. So, but still love it. Yeah. And happy to do it. Amazing. So you've seen it a lot. You've seen the millennials come through. You've seen Gen Z coming in now. What do you think has changed? Has it changed over over that time? Yeah. You know what? And I was thinking about this this morning, Sophie, as well, in that I think the main difference that stands out to me is, you know, particularly if I started in this space, the grads were willing to stick things out and things may not have always worked well, but they still stuck it out and they gave it a go knowing that they had to give things time to sort it itself out. But I think the big thing I've noticed in more recent years is if things don't go well or it's not what they thought it was going to be or they're maybe not enjoying it as much as they thought they would, they're quite willing to just change and move. They're not willing to stick it out and see what happens. They'll point and move direction and go somewhere where they think they will enjoy it more. And I think, you know, as a program manager, we have to sort of, recognize that but also have some flexibility in our programs to allow for that in some circumstances like I'm also not opposed to coaching grads through some of that Mm -hmm. from a career development perspective we need to sort of coach them through some of these decisions why they're making these decisions and where it makes sense encourage them to actually feel uncomfortable for a little while as well Um, because I I think that's part of growth is, you know, most of your learning is when you're not feeling great. You know, on the flip side, sometimes we maybe do have to facilitate some moves for them as well if, you know, if it's going to align to their learning outcomes that they're looking for. So I think that's the difference from, you know, we had a program, there was a structure, all the grads followed the structure They've followed it, you know, no matter what. And to now it's more of a hybrid of this is the program, this is the structure, but we'll work with you through that time to make sure that, you know, we're still meeting your needs. And I think that's the biggest change is we're kind of having to now meet them halfway as opposed to just saying, no, this is the program you have to go through. It's so interesting because I completely agree with this there's some really positive things about this next wave where they're listening to themselves more, they know that they have choices, and I think that's really positive. And making us come meet them in the middle is a constructive change. But, and I guess this is the the challenge, always trying to find that place Mm -hmm. in the grey, where is the point where we can pull them up and say, actually, life isn't meant to be comfortable all the time? And exactly as you say, you know, the uncomfortable places sometimes are where we learn. And so where's the, we can't keep them happy all the time. That's the no. that's the wake-up call. And mm. if people go through life expecting to be happy all the time, well, there's going to be a lot of dissatisfaction. So that's mm. really, really difficult. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, line mm. to walk. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned to, if we can better explain why, that usually gets them on board a little bit more as well. Whereas I, and I think that goes to my comment in that in the past, we would just say, here's your program. This is where you're going, when you're going there. And they used to just accept it and it was okay. Whereas now they really question it and challenge it. And I think it's just that if we can explain, well, you're going on rotation to this team because these are the learning outcomes and this is what we want you to learn from being in that team. 
yes, there will be parts of it that you won't enjoy, but it's really important to the overall program outcome that you have these skills by the end because it will lead to a better you know, employment outcome at the end. So I think it's just more about not telling them to do something, but explaining why why it is, you know, what they need to get out of it, I think is what we need to change. Better communication, I definitely think, is the key. And that's an interesting because the next question I wanted to sort of ask you about was, you know, changes since the pandemic has arrived, which made mm-hmm. communication and relationship building and, you know, fostering connections really difficult. How do you feel we went through the pandemic, post-pandemic? How has that affected our graduate programs? I think it's been challenging for everyone, to be honest, like from a grab's perspective, but also from, you know, from our perspective in trying to still continue to provide an amazing experience for these people as well. And, you know, and sometimes we are critical of ourselves in how we do that as well, even though a lot of things were out of our control. So, yes, we've had to go to more of a virtual approach. Yes, we've probably lost a lot of the relationship building that we were able to do prior to the pandemic it's probably made it a lot harder for us to be proactive in understanding what's happening for the grads and where they're at and and all of those sorts of things. The positives out of it as well is we've been able to broaden our candidate pool than probably what we did before as well. So by moving to virtual, we were able to basically hire from anywhere, which we probably didn't do as much of previously. So It's opened up opportunities for people to work from different locations that we may not have actually considered in the past as well. So we can now go to where the talent is as opposed to expecting the talent to come to us. So I think that's a positive. But in relation to managing the program itself on a day-to-day basis, like the biggest thing I've noticed is because these guys had probably a couple of years of uni online as well, Probably my biggest challenge this year, particularly the grads started in February, is some engagement with them. It's been really tricky to get the engagement from them that we are used to from previous cohorts. Even simple things like responding to calendar invites and responding to emails in a timely manner or turning cameras on in workshops or like it's been really, really difficult to get 100% compliance with some of these things, like what our expectation is on these things, despite us training them and giving them information and all this stuff. So I think that might still take some time and I'm not not 100% sure of the root cause of it, but that's definitely something I've noticed with this year's cohort compared to previous cohorts. Does that go back to your first point around... We're, I think we're a little bit more compliant um, in the past where compliance was the norm and you followed the instructions that you were told, whereas there's an, almost like a more independent vibe coming through. And, yeah. again, where's that line of independence and what are we going to accept and what are we going to negotiate on? And it's an, it's an interesting one. I completely agree, especially when it's virtual. And it's I think it's much easier to hide behind an email or hide behind a text message or, you know, even hide behind a phone call these days rather than a face-to-face? And would they have the same behaviour 
if we were face-to-face is an interesting one. But speaking of mindset shifts, what do you think these days coming out of the uni environment into a working environment, what do you think the biggest mindset shift is? I was on campus talking about this recently actually in relation to and just talking to some students you sort of sort of hear their mindset around where they're at currently and I think it it comes down to a couple of things one is structure so currently in the university system they don't have a lot of structure to be honest and I know this from my own daughter who's a first year uni student is lectures are optional tutorials are optional they could either go in person or if they really can't, you know, if they don't want to go in person, they'll just watch the recording later on. They kind of live a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week life because they, they just manage their time as they need to. But they get things done, but there's no structure around that. And so I think when they then start in a workplace where we work Monday to Friday, generally have standard working hours you may have to come into the office on certain days or, you know, you may only be allowed to work from home on certain days. You have to attend certain meetings. You know, like that's a big change for them from university life to work life. And I think that that expectation of having to be available is a big shift for them. The other thing I think is focus as well. Sometimes at work, you know, like we'll have an hour-long meeting and they have to be able to focus for the full hour. But they really struggle with that sometimes. They're used to doing, you know, five different things at the same time. So I think focus is a big thing. And then I think the other thing that I find interesting is also their sense of worth, like how they actually measure success for themselves. So when they're in university, everything is measured by grades, and GPA, and they might get some feedback back from lecturers on an assignment, but it's quite structured. They do something, they get a result. That's how they measure whether they're successful or not. And it provides an easy mechanism for them to compare themselves to others as well. So if I'm on this GPA and they're on that GPA, well, I know where I'm at. And it's, it's more vague in the workplace. Like we don't have... Like, yes, we have performance frameworks and we have, you know, reviews and all of that sort of stuff, but we're talking to them as an individual and they don't necessarily have the same mechanisms to be able to compare themselves to others. And I think they find that, like, quite hard to sort of get used to initially as well in that, you know, yes, we have performance reviews and our sort of categories are quite broad as far as how you're performing it's not as clear cut as you got an A you know so I think sometimes I get the impression like they need more like they want more detailed feedback around how they're going because they've been used to receiving that and working with them so I think maybe it's their sense of worth but also the ambiguity that maybe they have to work with as far as how they're performing and what they can work on they're not always just going to get handed that clearly every single time like sometimes they need to be able to interpret that themselves and sort of know what they need to to do differently or work on so I think that's another thing as well. I think that isn't that what we do throughout our entire careers slowly figure out how to give our own work meaning rather Mm -hmm. than my goodness can you imagine Kelly if we got to the stage of our careers and we had expected to be given meaning to us 
from <laughs> for the entire I'm not like I, I don't want to jump to the other end of the spectrum and say suck it up kids but yeah. um like it is a work in progress to find your own meaning and yep. to celebrate your own successes through your career rather than constantly needing that in detail external validation and yes. framework funnily I think the attention point the focus point that you raised before and the structure point I personally think that that's the time that we live in I think the fact that we live 24-7 lives because I think I've I've gone to a bit of a 24-7 life but I remember I remember more structured days the ability to maintain focus when you're used to jumping and making things work and taking probably more on than you normally would have in the past I think they relate to each other I think I know I'm one of those people that has about 500 tabs open and, and maybe we'll never revisit them again, but there could be a chance that I might need to revisit it and, and heaven forbid I just Google it again. Like, And it's all of our brains, but I guess if you haven't got the structure to refer to from previous experience, structure must feel really weird and potentially something you want to rebel against because it may not feel nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a huge challenge. I think that's yeah. a huge challenge. One challenge that hasn't come up and I do really, really want to talk about because I think for those of those out there who have been working in it in this space for a while, have noticed a change, those who are just coming in, get ready for some some tough conversations. I want to talk about reneging. So for those of you out there who haven't been in the space, the renege is when a typically a student who's still finishing off their studies is looking for a job in their final year. And they accept a position and then they renege because they take another offer. And another version of the renege lately is the not show up. But I remember when I was working in the space, similar to you, like 15 years ago when I was sort of counselling students about how to handle multiple job offers, it was a dirty word. I remember Mm. dealing with industry partners because I was working at the university And I'd be going, no, we're talking to the students, we're telling them how to handle themselves professionally and they need to be transparent and honest and, you know, try to manage timelines. And we would have it sort of whispered this nasty feedback going, get your students to get on board. Reneging was a a dirty word. These days, when I walk into an AAGE roundtable event, we're talking like it is just standard practice, account for it. People will go through your process, accept a job, and then they'll go through someone else's recruitment process and they will pick whatever suits them at the end of the day. And sometimes they will <laughs> frustrate. Mm-hmm. You can hear the frustration in my voice. Sometimes they accept and then day one starts and you do a quick roll call and some people haven't even shown up on day one of work. Is this what we have to accept as graduate recruiters? I hope we don't have to accept it. It's one of my, and I think it it really goes against my own personal values as well. So not only do I not accept it from a work perspective, but I personally really struggle with it as well because it's not something I would do. And I don't relate to someone who would do something like that. So what, do we just accept it? Well, it's hard. I don't think we, I think if there's a difference between accepting it and but then at the same time maybe trying to do something about it as well so because it's one of those things that it's not actually like we can't control what a candidate ultimately ends up deciding 
But I don't know whether it's a generational thing or if it's because of the, just the way the market is right now. It's completely in their hands as far as they have options galore at the moment. But maybe from a generational thing, it comes down to they're so used to, like they have lots of options and they, you know, don't necessarily have brand loyalty or they don't necessarily you know, align themselves to a certain thing and it's like it's kind of that chop and change type generation. I'll just, wherever it suits me, I'll just go. It doesn't matter about the consequences type things. So, and maybe it is more about that. It Like they're putting themselves first, obviously, mm-hmm. but what's interesting to me is more they're putting themselves first, which is fine, but there's, there doesn't seem to be any worry about implications or consequences like that I think that's the biggest thing I'm still getting my head around is it's one thing to have options and manage that professionally and honestly with employers it's another thing to have options and just do whatever you want without worrying about how it impacts anybody else that that's the thing I find disturbing so um I I don't think options existed 15 mm. years ago. Op- options there, I've, I've worked with students who had multiple offers. You know, putting yourself first is not a dirty phrase. Mm. It, it absolutely should put yourself first and make the right decision. But transparency and that honesty mm. and, and accountability and, and that second, put yourself first. But then, yes, your next mm. step should be how do your actions affect other people? Like I just, mm-hmm. why does putting yourself first mean that you then forget about how you treat other people. That's what I'm not sure yeah. is, is the next part of that. It, we just don't keep, do they stop the process right there? Think about myself and I'm not going to actually mm. do any more with that. How is this going to affect other people? How can I communicate my situation? It seems that the option is that they just stop communication and that seems to be becoming more and more ex- like norm, yeah. normalised. Yeah, but I think, again, too, like you said before, Sophie, they're hiding behind emails and hiding behind phone calls because they're not physically present. It's easier for them to just shoot off an email and say, you know, thanks but no thanks. So the other thing that's changed over recent years as well is we are all recruiting all year round now as well. So, you know, probably years ago, yes, they had options, but they are probably getting all those options around about the same time, you know, whereas now, you know, we're all recruiting anywhere from February to November, December even for some of them. So they're applying, getting an offer, applying, getting an offer, applying, getting an offer, and by the time they get to the end of the year, all of a sudden, you know, some of them might have three or four offers that they then need to decide. But... Again, though, I still get perplexed that if you, you know, apply for something and get an offer and you accept, I still find it interesting that they still continue to then go on and apply for other roles as well. So I think that's a new behaviour as well. So whereas when we all recruited at this round about the same time, of course they were applying for multiple things. Yeah. They didn't know what they were going to get, but there's definitely a shift in, no, I'm going to try and collect as many offers as I can. And yeah. then decide which one I want. So yeah, well, and it's not collecting just offers; it's collecting contracts and signing mm. the dotted line and expressing to a employer that they don't need to look any further. So I completely agree. I think that is the bit a big difference is the round the year recruiting because it wasn't possible to keep racking up graduate offers 
because there was a period that it ended, right? So that's definitely a change. I know that for me, I would factor it into like just say you know, 10 to 20% attrition. <gasps> like, so I know that recruiters are factoring it in. That's one way of us dealing with it. It feels like um, we're just accepting the bad. Do you think there's any other things we can do aside from accepting that people are going to lie to us and people are going to job shop? Is there anything else we can do? It's a hard one because I think there is stuff that we could do. It's just whether we are able to actually do it. Like that's it. Like, you know, like I, you know, even our own program, we're already at 10% attrition from our Feb 2022 intake and for different reasons. A couple of them um, accepted other graduate program roles like within the first couple of months of starting with us. Some of them have just been tapped on the shoulder and offered more money in other organisations. It's hard to compete with some of these things but you know from an overall perspective what we haven't probably gotten right for Feb 2022 is the relationship that we build with them when they first come in the door, that was really hard because it was all virtual. Yeah. So, you know, if I, if I had my time over again, I would definitely want to make sure I have more engagement with them early on Okay. to build that relationship with them. The other element is also I really feel like we need to invest more in the leaders who actually look after these grads on a day-to-day basis as well. Like I think it's something I feel like I even personally have dropped the ball on in the last couple of years as far as we're so focused on have we got our recruitment right? You know, what are we doing for orientation? What develop, you know, what training are we going to give them? But we forget about the person who actually looks after them day on day, you know, provides the day-to-day experience that they have. And um I know for me, for next year, we will definitely be investing more in the leaders as opposed to the graduates. So I I think the leaders are are really a huge part of this puzzle that we've maybe forgotten a little bit about recently. So, yeah. Absolutely. That makes so much sense because they have the most, you know, FaceTime, even if it's via a screen, Mm -hmm. the most impact that can possibly happen around engagement yeah it's easy like I think it's been a bit of a traditional thing that everyone just comes to the grad program manager when something doesn't go right right right? (laughs) like you know you're in charge of this program you know what's what are you doing about this what are you doing about that but the reality is is we can only we sometimes put pressure too much pressure on ourselves to have all the solutions as well so that's why I sort of think you know no if the leader is who the grad is spending most of their time with then the leader is who we need to support to make sure that they've got everything they need to provide that experience, yeah. Well, let's end, um, we've talked a lot about challenges. Mm-hmm. Let's end on a positive, you know, there is hope. As we mentioned, like the generation coming through, there's some serious challenges, post-pandemic, isolation, but there is some also really positive mm-hmm. things that they're bringing to the table. We've always mm-hmm. loved their fresh ideas. Like that hasn't changed. Like young mm-hmm. people still come with fresh ideas, fresh energy, but also this new generation comes in with a new mindset that potentially we should be embracing and celebrating. What do you think that new graduates are bringing to the table these days? What I love is they're not afraid to tell you when something, you know, isn't going great, but they'll also tell you when things are really great too. So I, I do really appreciate that proactive feedback we get in return from them. I really, really enjoy talking to them about all sorts of opportunities 
I love that they want to get involved in things even outside the scope of their job. And I think that's a really positive thing to embrace as well. You know, they bring a sense of excitement to the organisation as well. Like even just with, I know they have new ideas and all that sort of stuff, but just in relation to like the whole organisation just gets on board in relation to, oh, it's recruitment time. How can we help? Oh, the grads are starting. You know, I'd love to, you know, help with a session or or whatever. And, you know, the mentors jump in. So I think it's it's actually really good, not just the grads coming through, but it's actually really good from an organisational perspective to have a program where everyone understands what the purpose is, everyone understands how they play a role in supporting it, and, and everyone has an opportunity to help get involved if they want to. So that's the other important component. But, um, you know, the other thing for me is if we get our grads through the organisation you know, we are then, and I've probably said this a few times recently, it's also about that contributing to the ecosystem of early careers across the whole country. It's not just about my organisation. It's actually about if we give opportunities to people who are just starting out in their career, then effectively we all benefit from that because some of my grads will go to other organisations, but vice versa, grads from other organisations will end up coming to ours. So I think that, you know, for me, that's sort of the underlying purpose of why we do what we do is, yes, we want some grads to stay, but ultimately we want skilled workforce when we need it. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly, thank you so much for all of your brilliant insights. You can tell how long you've been doing this. You you know your stuff. So I really appreciate you taking your time um, to join us. And um, yeah, thanks. Hope we can catch up soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Sophie. Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out striving.io for career development tools and mentorships to guide you through. Striving and thriving. 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 Striving and thriving.